Warning, The Five may contain discussions on topics such as death, suicide, rape, addiction, and abuse. Although these topics are approached in a therapeutic manner, they still may have triggering effects on some individuals. Viewer discretion is advised. Human beings are crafted through experience. Each person, from the closest of friend to the most random of stranger, has a unique story crafted by the ultimate experience that we call life. Welcome to The Five. The same five questions, a complete different experience every time. I'm just going to start this episode out with this is the origin story of the handlebar mustache. I met today's guest nine years ago at a burlesque show and the first thing that I noticed was he had an amazing handlebar mustache which is weirdly like a life's goal of mine. I've always wanted one and I just never grown one at that point. Uh, at the, that time, I didn't even have a beard. I had big mutton chops because I was always uh, the 10th Doctor Who when I would dress up and uh, or Wolverine. And, but like once I saw his handlebar mustache, I was like, I have to get to know this person. And once I got to know him, we instantly, I can tell you, I've never clicked with someone like I have clicked with this person. We just literally bonded that night and we have been he's one of my very best friends he is like strangely almost kind of like a father figure to me in weird ways because we i call him daddy chad because he's the responsible one that kind of babysets me sometime and when i feel like i can't do something I will always follow chad's advice he could tell me something crazy and i would be like if he said it, I'll, I'm going to give it a shot. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Chad. Um, like Brad said, I've known him for like nine years. And yeah, uh, we met at a burlesque show. I think I had just gotten out of the long relationship where I kind of lost my entire friends group. Um, and that kind of, you know, sucked. And, uh, I had a, a friend that I met in college that we kind of always got along, but we never really hung out. And just on a whim, I reached out to to this uh, this friend and said, hey, we should hang out sometime. Like, I'm, you know, I, I saw my friends and we always got along. Do you want to hang out? And, uh, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to uh, this burlesque show with my girlfriend um on valentine's day if you want to come and i said all right i'll see you there and lo and behold i think his girlfriend invited you or well his girlfriend at the time they're married now but um invited you and then uh yeah we just uh it was i think my first burlesque show i think it was your first burlesque show um and we kind of bonded just being the odd ones out in the group and then uh and then I think if memory serves, by the end of that, you were on stage without a shirt on dancing and won uh, our mutual friend a uh, septum piercing. So I think that's how that all went down. That is actually how that all went down. <laughs> it was my first on stage strip. <laughs> <laughs> not the last. I did learn, though, do not throw your clothes into the audience because you do not get them back. Yep. And we have been friends ever since. Like, I could not picture my life without 
Chad now. When I feel like I need somebody, usually I'm I'm kind of like the the paladin of the group where, you know, there's a lot of people that like will come to me for advice or talk to me and everything. And when I feel like I need to, Chad is the person that I come to talk to. So, you know, he's the one of the only people I feel like I can be vulnerable to. So that's a big thing. And I feel the same. I feel like we have that in common. I feel like we're kind of both each other's kind of person to some extent that we can just kind of say whatever's on our mind and know we're not going to get judged for it, kind of. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> so you know the uh, drill. I'm going to ask you five questions. You can ask, you can answer them any way you want. You ready to try it? Yeah. All right. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you? All right. So this one goes back about 20 years. <laughs> I was like fresh out of high school um, and another one of my friends, uh, well, you know, also friend from high school had just turned 18 like he was 17 his whole senior year of high school and we had like only graduated maybe like a month or something I think and he was like I turned 18 um there was like five or six of us that always like ran around together and he was and we were like you're 18 now what do you want to do for your birthday this year and he said I want to go to a club um you know we were 18 couldn't get drinks or anything like that but he was just like i want to go to a club downtown for my 18th birthday and we were like all right let's go do it none none of the rest of us enjoyed going to the club at all it was not our scene so to say and uh but you know that's what he said he wanted to do so that's what we we went and we did and it was um not a fun experience for anybody um and we hung out there and then finally he was like all right let's go um he was like i i kind of want to leave and go somewhere else let's go get food somewhere and by this point you know it was like midnight so the only options in the town that we lived in was uh waffle house or ihop right so um and then but someone pointed out there was this other place called Perkins that stayed open 24 hours but it was on the complete opposite side of town um and so i was driving um that was kind of my designated role in uh in kind of our friends group as i drove everywhere cuz i think i was the only person with like a a four door car um so uh we're and i'd forgotten about this until i was thinking about this story earlier we were walking to the parking lot and this drunk guy tried to pick a fight with my friend whose um, birthday it was, uh, Stephen. Um, and we, uh, this drunk guy just came up and just like was yelling at him and trying to, and my friend was like, he was a very charismatic and very like, I don't know, easygoing guy or whatever. And just kind of like talked to this guy down into just being buddies. And I think it ended in like them having a hug. And it was just like, so weird because we were all kind of you know taken aback and we were all 18 so we were like we don't know what to do we don't we're not used to this situation and then it was like do we, are we gonna have to fight somebody in a parking lot on tonight like i don't want to do that and then uh and and so we kind of talked him down so that and that's not really the weird part that was kind of the beginning of the weird of this evening and so then we all get in my car I'm driving to the other side of town to this, uh, you know, 24-hour restaurant. And we, um, 
I don't know why, but I decided not to take the interstate. I went like down like the main highway of town um, and hit like every single red light. And at one point we pulled up to this red light and there's no other car around. And you know, you're just sitting there waiting like you do at like 1 a.m. at a red light and there's no one around. And I was like, okay. And the light was taking forever. And then this big like Escalade, blacked out windows, black Escalade rolls up beside us. And then he just slowly keeps like inching out into the intersection, right? Um, and I don't know why, but that's like a pet peeve of mine. It's like, you know, I can understand if you can see like the cross lights are yellow, the lights about to change, you're starting to, you know, get on the gas, like you're going to go, whatever. But the lights were completely green. Like the light was not about to change anytime soon. This is like the longest light in town. And this guy's just slowly like creeping through it. Now I remember just saying to my friend, like, what is this guy doing? The light's not even about to change. Like, he's an idiot, just like rolling through the intersection. And what I did realize or should have thought about was my window was down. <laughs> and then I just see this like tinted window just like roll down beside me. And this guy just like leans over, he goes, And I can hear you. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. And then I just sat there. Right? I was like, I I don't care if you can hear me. Um, and so then the light finally turns green. And this guy's like pretty much like a car length ahead of me by the time the light turns green. He's rolled so far out in the middle of the intersection. And so then, um, you know, the light turns green and he doesn't go. And I start to go. And then he just gets right on my tail, like right on my bumper. And I was like, oh, I, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to have this guy riding my bumper. And I'm kind of, you know, starting to speed up and speed up. And then my friend Steven, whose birthday it is, is like, no, 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 this isn't the way to handle this. He's like, go 10 miles an hour. Just go 10 miles an hour, and eventually this guy will just get mad, give up, and drive away, right? So I slow down. Like, no one else on the road is you can anywhere. It's a four-lane highway. Like, he can easily go around me. And I just start creeping along in the car. And for probably two miles, I do that, Right? And this guy just stays right on my bumper. And I was starting to get concerned. And I was like, okay, forget this. And I just like drop it into low gear and just kind of peel out and start going down the highway. Thinking like he's in an Escalade and I'm not in like a souped up car, but I'm in a car that like, you know, can accelerate faster than an Escalade can accelerate. Um, And so he, but the problem is we're on the main highway, which goes for like 20 miles dead straight. Like, there's nowhere to really outrun this guy where, like, he's... Because he's, like, blowing through red lights, like, to just keep up with me, right? And so then we finally get to a major crossroad um, on the highway, and uh, the light turns red, and there's actually some other cars around, and I just decide, like, I'll just take this as a right on red. And so I don't even slow down. I just turn right on red straight through the intersection um and he keeps following me and i just keep going and eventually we end up in this like high speed chase of this guy just like chasing me and i'm like driving all around town i mean this has been going on for like 20 minutes now at this point where this guy has been chasing me and i've been driving around trying to lose him and eventually we go by a neighborhood where um a girl i used to date lived um 
and I knew pretty well, and I knew it had this like weird hairpin turn that if you're not used to it, you don't see it coming, and you you really have to slow down for this turn, right? And so I was like, okay, keep up, right? And I just full speed take down this turn, and I get to that turn, and I just rip the e-brake and go hard on the wheel and literally just fishtail my car through this turn to get around it. And then I hear my friend in the back who's like pressed against like the back window essentially at this point, right? And he's screaming and he's going, it's trash day. And there's trash cans out on the road. And I am like inches from hitting them as I'm like just drifting through this turn. And I was like, ah. And we get, we get through it though. And I get out and like, I don't, I don't see him, right? I don't see him anymore. Like, I don't know what happened, but then we end up, like, I just take, like, two quick turns in the neighborhood, pull into someone's driveway, cut the car off, and I had this big, like, sticker in the back window of my car that was, like, for, like, the local sports team because it was, like, my parents' car and everything. And I was, like, I just turned to my friend and I was, like, rip that thing down. Like, get it out of the window so we it's not clear that it's us. And uh, they pulled the, the sticker out of the back window and we all just hunker down in the floorboards. And then eventually we see like headlights go cruising by and then they're gone. And that was it. And I was like, and I don't know if like, maybe that could have ended. I don't, I have no idea, but that was probably the scary, like, like the scariest thing that's happened to me in a car, but definitely the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me is just, I guess like, mouthing off and getting chased through town <laughs> um but yeah uh but we all were fine we were an hour late to the restaurant because we had a whole another carload of friends <laughs> who had gone the interstate way and had been there for like an hour and a half and here comes us four rolling in like an hour and a half later we were like yeah we might have gotten in a high-speed chase through the neighborhood <laughs> but we're here we made it and everyone was fine so um, and I think statute of limitations are up on that. So I think I'm okay. Well, the thing is, you never know how like road rage events are going to turn out. That's the scariest part of them because it's like, it can be something really innocuous. And then the next thing you know, a guy walks out and shoots you through the window. It's been 20 years, but that's nothing new. Like road rage has been around since cars have been around. And, and especially here in Tennessee, where most people are packing, like it, road rages can be very deadly. I mean, I was very much like, there is no situation where this resolves okay, where I come to a stop and he knows where I am. It was kind of the situation. I was like, we have to lose this person somewhere. Um, or I just go straight to the police department, which is probably what I should have done in the now as a non 18 year old, just casually drive right to the police station. Um, but no, 18-year-old hormonal me was just like, all right, keep up, buddy, and just Tokyo drifted through neighborhoods to get away. So I don't know how I'm alive. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> me too. Well, I guess we can move on to the next one, which is what's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? So this one was kind of like tough to think about, um, like to come up with probably like what was the scariest but honestly, like, it was, um, so, 
I think what I've landed on is the time that I nearly died uh, because my throat sold closed, um, which uh, you were aware of. But yeah, that one, uh, you've, you've heard this story before. But yeah, so um, it was weird. So 20, it was so like spring of 2021, like maybe like March or something like that. Because I know I had just been, I just became eligible to get my COVID vaccine. And I got my first dose, and then it was like, in two weeks, you need to come back and get like your second dose, or maybe three. I don't remember what the time frame was, but whatever it is. Um, and so I got my first dose of the shot, and I kind of had like no real symptoms, like maybe nothing for like a day or two. And then all of a sudden, I kind of felt like a little feverish and was a little run down. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll just um, kind of stay home today, like drink some fluids, rest in bed. And I did that, and I kind of got a little bit of a fever, and then, um, and then I got over that. But as I was getting over that, slowly, like I just had this like roughness in my throat, that it just kept building and kept building, and it got to the point where it felt like anything that I swallowed felt like sandpaper just going down my throat, um, food-wise. And then it got to where even just drinking water was like hard to get down um and i ended up um in the i ended up going back and forth to the hospital two or three times and uh they couldn't figure anything out like i had some like an mri and stuff um and it uh and eventually i ended up at like a, a gastroenterologist but it ended up they still don't know what caused it to this day but i just uh yeah my throat kind of like you would have anaphylaxis where your windpipe would swell up, but it was my esophagus. I just couldn't swallow anything. And um, I lost like 15 pounds in a week. Um, and uh, and I remember laying there at one point just thinking like, if this doesn't go away, like I don't, I'm going to die. Like I don't, I can't, I haven't eaten anything in like a week and I barely had any water in a week. I'm super dehydrated. Um, and you know, I ended up, I think the second time I went to the ER, they did give me IV fluids because I was so dehydrated and stuff and that helped. And then, uh, eventually it just went away. But I, I remember just sitting there thinking like, well, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. Just like unable to eat, even though, you know, I'm at home with food and I can go to the hospital, but I go to the hospital and they don't really do anything to help. So um yeah i guess that was that was kind of it i'd i'll i've i've been like you know i've had like a couple other times i've gotten kind of sick recently where i've kind of like been pretty bad off but that was probably the worst that i've ever been where i really started thinking like okay what do i have to do with like my stuff right with my animals like how What's in my name that I have to like start to figure out how where it's gonna go if this doesn't get better? Um, so yeah, as as like a an early thirty year old that kind of I guess hits you pretty quick is like being stuff you hadn't really thought about, but all of a sudden you need to. So I didn't know that you'd went to the doctor or to the hospital that many times. That has to be scary when you go in and they're like, we don't know what's going on. 
Yeah, that you you go there, and even if they tell you, oh, you're having an allergic reaction or something like that, you can kind of work it through in your brain and say, okay, it's allergic reaction. If I can survive it, I'm good. And they can give you something for that, right? Yeah, but if they're like, oh, we have no idea what this is, you're just like, this might not end. This may just end with death. That's terrifying. It was like a week where I was like back and forth to the ER. You know, I lost all that weight. I was getting really worried. And then they were like, we're going to send you to a gastroenterologist. who They're going to do an endoscope to try and see what's going on in there. But by the time I could like get in and go, it was like two weeks later, like from when, and I was already like kind of eating again and I was starting to feel better, but I still like obviously went to see if they could see what had happened or anything. And even whenever then the, um, the doctor told me like at that time, right, three weeks after this had started, he said that was some of the worst swelling he had seen in an esophagus. And, and that was me like three weeks better. <laughs> so it was like, I was like, I don't, yeah. But he, he gave me like a few things where he was like, it could have been this, it could have been this, it could have been this. He was like, but we don't know. And so it was like, it could happen again. I have no idea. So yeah. And then, uh, but I remember, I remember it was all in such a short time frame because I remember getting my COVID vaccination. And then I remember by the time I needed to go back and get the second dose, it was like, I was okay again. And then I had like no reaction from that or the booster or anything like that. So it was, I have no idea what happened and they don't either. So it was weird and very scary just to be like laying in bed and just like trying to force myself to like get water down and I just can't. And yeah. It was like, because I just couldn't, I literally couldn't swallow anything. I'm a big baby just when I have a sore throat. So I can't imagine having that happen to me. It was, yeah, that was, I mean, and that's the thing too, is like, I'm a person where it's normally I can, I don't know, get through most pain kind of thing. Like I remember one time I had like, uh, um, like strep throat and my tonsils had swelled up and I had been ignoring it for like a month or something because I didn't have I was like a student I didn't really have health insurance I didn't really like want to go to the doctor about it or anything I was like I'll get better and it just wasn't getting better and eventually my mom like just made me go to the doctor she's like literally picked me up and just drove me to the ER and made me go see a doctor and I went in and they were like what's your pain on you know the scale one to ten or whatever and I was like oh it's like a three and uh and then when the doctor came back and looked at my throat, they were like, um, do you want pain medicine? And I was like, no, I'm okay. And they were like, are you sure? And so this is at an ER where, first off, they don't like to give out pain medicine, right? Because most pain, like people are seeking pain medicine. And that was the first thing they offered me when they looked at my throat. And I was, to me, it was like, oh, it's not very painful. And they, they were like, do you want something right now? Or do you something right now? Just an antibiotic shot would be fine. So, yeah, I don't know. I can normally tough through a lot, but that was not something I could tough through. I guess we can move on to what's the most memorable moment of your life so far. All right, so this one is memorable because it was kind of traumatic, and it's kind of something that lives with me even to this day. 
Um, but it was uh, doing my PhD defense. Um, so, like, I remember... So, for anyone who's unaware, right, the typical way this works is, you know, you've, you, you have a project, you've been working on it, you've been doing all this research, you typically put forth a proposal that you have a committee of, like, in, like professors that sit over your your uh, dissertation and they will, you know, approve what you're doing and then at the end you present it all and they say, yes, this is good enough work or no, this isn't good enough work, you need to go do some more, right? And that pretty much is you get to become a doctor, a doctorate, or you don't get your doctorate, right? Um, and so, and normally the way that's done is in a big you do the presentation in a big open um, like lecture room, right? Like anyone from the general public, anyone of your peers, anyone in the department, wherever can come. And then um, you give your talk, you, you, they ask questions, you know, they kind of grill you on your knowledge. You kind of do your defense, you defend your work. Um, and then in the end, they have you step out in the hall, everyone leaves you know and then uh there's some deliberation from your committee and then typically they come out and um most of the time they give you a handshake and say congratulations you're a doctor now and it's a big hoopla and all this kind of stuff so i defended my phd in the summer of 2020 so like the height of covid so there was no open forum there was no open room it was all virtual Right. So I was literally sitting where I am today, looking at this camera, um, giving my defense to pretty much just my committee. And like, I think like my mom, like joined the call as like the only person really like outside of the academic world who was there to kind of like there for me, so to speak. And then uh, and then, yeah, uh, there was no kind of pop and circumstance kind of thing it was kind of like i just gave my talk i answered my questions they kicked me off a zoom call and then i got a text message that said congratulations you passed and that was it and then i was just at home like and it was just so like because like you know you expect i guess like all of this kind of like celebration and party and this achievement that you've been working on for in my case like you know, going on like 10 years worth of my entire academic career to come to this point. And instead it was, you know, I was just by myself and, and that was it. And, uh, and then also like for it, you're supposed to have like a hooding ceremony, which is the kind of more like the graduation walk, so to speak, where, um, you're given like all your regalia for becoming a doctorate. Um, and, uh, and all that was canceled due to COVID. So, that was never done. And I think it's just like the memory of like, I guess just that text message and then me just kind of being like, all right, I guess that's it. So I'll wait on a piece of paper in the mail at some point and that's the most it'll be. I don't know. That was kind of, that's the most memorable and it's just because it was so not exciting. <laughs> Um, which I, that kind of sounds sad and kind of sounds like, oh, me, boo-hoo. But I mean, it, it was kind of like you've been, I've been working at this thing. I literally still kind of have like 
PTSD from the stress and the trauma of like this process that is grad school. Um, look up suicide rates for grad students, by the way. Uh, and it really takes its toll to then just have like all of the finality of it kind of snatched away was really sad, I guess. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I think that's my most memorable moment. I'll never forget how not memorable that was. There's so much like during COVID that, you know, you, you think about like all the proms and all the graduations and all the weddings and all the funeral, like, you know, there was so many funerals that happened that people couldn't go to like see their loved one at a funeral. And, you know, and like your graduation, you worked so hard for this and you can't help but feel a bit cheated out of the, the whole thing, you know, and you're valid in feeling cheated out of it. You know, there is at any other year of your life, if you'd have done the same thing, it would not have been that so lackluster and kind of lonely. Like it was <laughs> 2020 is just a lonely year anyways. It sucked all the happiness already. And then on top of that, when something like that is supposed to be a momentous occasion just gets like snuffed. I could 100%, you're 100% valid in feeling cheated on that. And that was the thing too, is because like I had been, you know this, like I had kind of, whenever I was working up to that and trying to get it for like nearly like nine months leading up to that, I had withdrawn from like most like of my like coming like to hang out with anybody or any of my social things. And then of course COVID started, but that didn't really even change my life at that point because I was just living in a little hole working away at my dissertation. So then to think like, you know, I was thinking the light at the end of the tunnel and then to kind of just, that was gone. It was just more tunnel. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was pretty rough. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I think... <laughs> I think I need to probably talk to my therapist about that because that just still sits with me pretty hard. Um, but, and then, yeah, you were talking about, like, uh, funerals. That's a good segue into the next question if you want to ask it. What's the saddest thing that's ever happened to you? In the same vein of saddest. Like, I guess these last two could kind of go hand in hand or whatever, kind of. But, um, so, at the start of my grad program, actually, uh, my um, paternal grandfather passed away very suddenly. Um, we didn't, I mean, there was no indication that he was ill or anything. He literally, like, stayed up late, I think, watching the Lady Vols play basketball and then went to bed and uh, never woke up. Um, and I remember my dad calling to tell me, and it was, uh, it was, like, I guess maybe early November, I should know the date, but I don't know it off the top of my head, um, that he passed away. And, uh, and yeah, I just remember getting that phone call and going over there. And then, uh, and I had never, my dad's kind of like a very stoic guy. He's, he's not really what I would call like a man's man, so to say, so to say, but he's, 
a person who doesn't show emotion very much. I'm kind of in a similar, I guess I get that from him as well. But um, to see him just destroyed, right? I mean, that just wrecked him. Um, and uh, that was really rough to go through. And then um, actually right at the end of my graduate program, um, right before I defended that summer, um, right before COVID actually started, um, my maternal grandfather, so my mom's father, um, he had been really sick and, uh, we kind of knew like, you know, he was getting sick and was never going to get better. Um, and, uh, they kind of put him on hospice care, like in home, um, in January of, uh, 2020. And then, um, I kind of actually took a little bit of a break. I was supposed to defend my um, PhD that spring and I ended up pushing it to the summer because he got so sick I needed to be over there to help take care of him because it was uh, really like just me and like my mom and my aunt and my grandmother but like you know he needed to be it got to the point where like I had he had to be like lifted out of bed to be able to like go to the bathroom and stuff like that and so it was really I kind of needed to be over there almost every day helping try and take care of him and then just to watch him deteriorate and then his passing was was just really sad and so it's kind of like this momentous time of my life I guess is bookended by these like two really tragic events um is uh was really rough so uh, yeah I mean it was he uh he just got really sick and it was he couldn't really eat much or anything he didn't he couldn't get out of bed and um it just got to the point where I think near the end I think he weighed something like 82 pounds or something like that and it was just um really troubling to watch and then I was there actually when he passed um they uh you know, it just got to the point where he was kind of non-responsive and stuff. And then uh, we eventually had a nurse come in and she kind of um, was kind of moving and checking him out and stuff. And then his heart just kind of stopped and that was it. Um, and that was really, oh, that was really rough to go through as well. Um, both of them, I think, like meant a lot to me, still mean a lot to me, but um yeah, just really kind of tragic to watch that life kind of just fizzle out, I guess. But well, you're a really good grandson to go over and take care of him like that. That's not easy. That's very hard work. And till somebody goes through it, they don't actually understand how hard that is. It's tough. I mean, it's tough because you kind of also, you know, because my grandmother and my, my mom and my aunt, they were... Um, especially my mom and my grandmother weren't doing really well and it was kind of you know you have to keep it together you know it's kind of like you have to keep it together and kind of keep morale as up as you can right in those kind of situations and that was you know hard because it's like I want to fall apart and be sad but if I do that too then 
nothing gets done. I, I remember all that that time. There was a lot going on, like with our social group at that time, and I was having to kind of take a step back from that, you know, because of you know the schoolwork and family and everything, and I was really missing you guys. I know so. And I could say I know how much you loved your grandfathers because every time you talk to them, you you talk very reverently about them. They meant a lot to me. I, I know they had their flaws. Like, I know everyone does. Like, I'm not trying to... I don't necessarily hold these people up on, like, a pedestal, but I do look at some of the positives that I can take from their lives and try and bring that into mind. I do think of both of them as being pretty influential to how I live my life. It kind of leads into the last question, which is, based on your life experience so far, what's the best advice you can give the people out there listening? So this one was the easiest question to answer out of all of them for me. Um, I think I remember whenever I saw the first one of these that you did, uh, I saw this question and this was the first one that I thought, okay, I know exactly what my answer would be on this one. And um, I think for me, it's you've got people, in my opinion, right? Obviously, this is based on my life experience. You got to learn to be alone with yourself. You got to learn how to manage yourself. I see so many people, and I know so many people who say like, oh, you know, I got to have the radio on when I'm driving or whatever because I just don't want to be alone with my thoughts. And I'm like, you you got to learn to be alone with your thoughts, right? You got to learn to... And I feel like this kind of ties a lot of what a lot of other people have said, but it's like, if you can be alone with yourself comfortably, then I feel like it's very hard for anyone to get power over you um, because it gives you the ability to say, I don't need this, right? I can do this on my own. I'm capable. I'm empowered to, to do this myself. And then you are able to kind of welcome people into your life, right? Rather than being people forcing their way into your life or having control over your life. Um, I feel like it, it kind of gives you the power to stand on your own. Right. And then, and then you get to, to say, okay, these are the good people that I want to be in my life. These are the people that make me a better person. And I can see that because I can see me. Right. And I think that's um, some of the best advice that I can give people. And I know a lot of people, that's not easy. That's not, I'm not saying this is like a simple thing, but I would say it's something you got, everyone should be working towards. If you're not there, you should really be trying to be okay being alone and then be happy with the people that you have in your life. Well, I can, I can kick in actually and say, I've learned and I'm learning I'm not good at it yet, but I'm lear I've learned something from you over the years that's actually helped me a lot. And I would uh, I would say it's called putting your own oxygen mask on first sometimes. Yeah, which is meaning like 
sometimes you need to, to look out for yourself before you start looking out for everybody else. Sometimes you got to take care of yourself and sometimes you can't put all of yourself out there all the time and expect to continue on with being mentally healthy or physically healthy sometimes. Uh, and you are like, like a very good example of that. Like, and it's one of the things I like highly respect about you is because, you know, there's sometimes you're like, Hey, I know this is like a big event for everybody, but you know, right now I'm not feeling it and I need to take care of myself, you know? And it's like, and that's really hard for me. And I just never really thought about it so much until like I, I, I saw it in you and I'm like, you know, there's a lot of times I can get myself overwhelmed with just taking on so much of other people's responsibilities, taking out, you know, I, I always feel like I'm letting people down or I'm doing all this. And, you know, sometimes I need to, I will let, literally think, what would daddy Chad say? He'd say, put your gas mask on first. It's, a really hard lesson. It's something that's really hard for me to learn, but like it is something that I'm like learning through you, through osmosis almost. And I will say it's a hard thing to strike the right balance of too, right? Because it's like you don't want to also be, I don't, I don't, I don't want it to sound like be a selfish asshole because the, the idea of like look out for yourself first kind of sounds very, I don't know, um, selfish. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think it's important to, not always be selfless with the excess that you have, not with what keeps you going, what keeps you alive, right? Um, it's the moment that you have excess, that's whenever you can say, okay, where can I help others, right? But you, you do kind of, to be a rock for others, you have to have a solid foundation, right? And, uh, and if you don't have that, then then it's just two people spiraling out of control together. And that's never good. So, um, I don't know. I guess that's my, my thought. Um, my advice for people is just find a way to be okay with being just yourself. And realize that you don't owe anyone anything. There's nothing wrong with just saying, this is me and I'm going to do what I need to do for myself. And I... I'm going to make sure that I'm okay and then I can think about the other people in my life that matter. I have to say, I really have enjoyed this. It's weird because, like, we've known each other for nine years. We talk about everything. We're very open books with each other, but, you know, just sitting here and doing this, there is some things I learned today that I didn't know. That's, That's the, the goal. goal. I just want to say I really appreciate you very much being my best friend and being there when I need you. And if I could wish one thing out there into the world, I would hope that other people can find a best friend like you. Oh, thank you. I, you are also my best friend, so it works. <laughs> but I feel like we're a good balance. We balance each other out pretty well, I think. I 100% I agree with that. We'll just end it right there. <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Also, check out the video podcast at Handlebar ASMR on YouTube for extras.